Today, I'd like to talk with you and think together with you about prayer. Prayer is something that many of us know that should be an important part of our lives. The New Testament says that we should pray without ceasing. That comes from the Apostle Paul. But you know, the Apostle Paul also says that we do not know how to pray. That's what he says in the book of Romans. We don't know how. I think a lot of us can resonate with that. We don't know how. We're not always sure what to do. We're not sure if we're praying enough. We have these doubts. We have these confusions about prayer. And so Jesus teaches a lot about prayer in his ministry. There are a lot of places that we can go, and that's what we're going to do today. We're going to go to a parable that Jesus teaches about prayer. It can be found in Luke 18. Before we get to the parable itself, though, what I'd like to do is look at what comes just prior to it. It's not a story that comes prior to it. It's just one sentence, and it sets up what Jesus intends and wants for us as we hear and experience this parable. This is what it says. The first verse of the 18th chapter of Luke, it says, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He gives us this parable so that we would always pray. We should always pray and not give up. Those two things. I want to think about those two things with you for just a second. The first thing that Jesus says is, you should always pray. And I don't imagine that that's something that sounds so surprising coming from Jesus to us. You should always pray. But I also wonder if some of us receive it as something that's very helpful. To hear Jesus say, you should always pray. Sometimes when people say that you should do something, it doesn't feel very helpful. Sometimes it feels like they're trying to correct you. They're kind of needling you a little bit when they say, you should be more cheerful. So have I not been being cheerful before? You don't know. Sometimes those shoulds, they, they have a kind of a weight on you. I have a friend who likes to say that when someone tells you what you should do, they're shooting all over you. <laughs> you should, you know, you don't need anybody else to do it to you. Sometimes you do it to yourself. Sometimes you're thinking about your life, you're looking back and you say, I should have been more organized. You say, I should, I should have been a better friend. Or you look now and you say, I should, I should be more welcoming. I should pray more. I should lose weight. You begin to have these shoulds that weigh down on you. Even when it comes to prayer, we know that we should pray more. I should pray more. But Jesus is not trying to put a burden on you. Jesus is not trying to put this on you to correct you or to needle you a little bit. Instead, he's telling you you should do something in a way, maybe this is a way to think about it. Imagine that somebody asks you to house sit for them. They're going out of town and you need to water the plants and you're going to feed the cat. You go over there and on the dining room table as you walk in, there's a little note from your friend and it says, you should look in the refrigerator. And so you go to the refrigerator and you look and it's a meal that she's made for you. It's a meal, it's set out for you, and there's a slice of cake, homemade. It's been put there by her for you. It was a gift. And what's in there? If you hadn't have gone into the refrigerator, you would have missed something that was sustaining and sweet that was for you. This is the way that Jesus is saying you should pray. You should pray because prayer can be one of the most sustaining and sweet parts of your life. I know that many of you know that. This is what Jesus means when he says you should pray. He also says that you should not give up. The old King James says, so you will not faint. <laughs> One of my favorite translations says, so you will not lose heart. So this parable comes to us so we won't lose heart. It's easy to lose heart in life. 
It's easy to lose heart even in the best of circumstances. I dare say that the circumstances that we all are in right now are not the best of circumstances. The sickness which continues to pervade in our communities, the ways that we're still kept from one another, the political divides that seem to not want to go away. It's easy to lose heart. It's easy to want to give up. And so this parable is for us. It's for each one of you. Christian just said that God has brought us here a word for us. Jesus has a word for us because we are people that know we should pray. And Jesus knows that we are people that are in danger of losing heart. But listen now, if you are in danger of losing heart, I want you to know what Psalm 147 says about Jesus. It says he binds up the brokenhearted and he heals their wounds. 1 Peter 2 says that by his wounds we are healed. So let's look at this parable together and ask God to do what he promises to do, to heal us, to help us to not lose heart and to pray to him. Let's take a look at this parable now. This comes from Luke 18. It says, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time, he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God, or care about what people think. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. The Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Dear friends, this is the word of the Lord that's been given to us in love. Would you please pray with me? Dear God, we ask now that you would be with us and speak to us. Give us the words, the, the thought by your spirit that you want us to hear today. Help us to know how much you love us and help us to love you back. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Two people, two characters in this parable that Jesus tells. We have a woman, and she's coming to a judge. She has an adversary. She wants justice. A woman and a man. And you heard Jesus wants us to pay attention to this woman. He says the one to emulate is this woman. Before we get to her specific circumstances, I don't want us to rush by that. Jesus points at this woman, and he makes her in effect, the hero of the story. And this is something that you see reoccur over and over and over and over in the Gospels. Jesus so often is pointing out the prominence and centrality of women. So often in the stories that Jesus tells, women are the heroes. And so often in the story of Jesus himself, women were the heroes. I'm pointing this out to you not to be politically correct. I'm not pointing this out to be relevant or any other reason except that's what's in the scriptures. You see it over and over and over. If you ever go to the end of the gospels, the passion story, as Jesus gets closer and closer to the cross, more and more it's the women who are right there with him. As he goes into Jerusalem, he is anointed by a woman. He says about the woman, she's anointed me for my burial. It's the women who were at the foot of the cross. The apostles all left. They betrayed, they denied. It was the women who were at the foot of the cross. 
It was the women who went to anoint the body of Jesus on the first Easter morning, and they became the first witnesses of the resurrection. And therefore, after being the first witnesses, they then go back to the apostles, and they become the first preachers of the gospel. Over and over and over, we see that, and we see it in this story here too. Jesus points at this woman, and she is the one we're told to emulate. Now, let's look at her specific situation. Let's look at this particular one. What do we know about her? Verse three tells us, there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. First thing we know about her is that she's a widow. Many of you know that especially at this time to be a widow was to be without almost any power, without any kind of recourse if you had a difficult situation. And she's got a difficult situation. Her situation, she says she has an adversary. And we don't know what the details are, but you could probably imagine what might be going on in her life. Maybe there's a landlord that's overcharging her. Maybe somebody owed a debt to her family, and now that her husband has died, they don't want to pay it. They don't have to. She's a widow. Widows had almost no power, and she is here, and she's not asking for money. She's not asking for land. She's asking for justice, which means her cause is right. She doesn't want anything else but what is fair. And so she's having to knock and knock and knock and ask for it because she's in trouble. There's something else going on with this widow here. She's not only a widow, you can also see that she's alone. At this time, women were almost never involved in court cases. She's there. You know what that tells us? She doesn't have a brother and she doesn't have a son to represent her. She's got to go there alone. She also has no resources. She has no money. She can't bribe the judge, which seems to be a practice that's going on pretty commonplace here. And finally, worst of all, she can't appeal to his honor. She's in the right, but she can't go to him and say, you have to do what's right. She can't appeal to his honor because he doesn't have any. That's our widow situation. Without power, without resources, without a friend, without anybody to be with her, she has only one thing she can do. She can constantly knock on the door. She can appeal. She can be relentless in trying to get justice. That's all she's got. That's the widow. Now, what do we know about the judge? Well, the judge, we don't really know all that much about him either, but we know enough. And you don't need to know anything about the ancient Near East to know about the judge. One thing is that he's got resources. He's got money. He's a man of prominence. He seems to be taking bribes somewhat on the regular. So he's got financial resources. We also know that he's a judge and therefore he gets to say who's right and who's wrong. He gets to say who's innocent and who's guilty. So here are our two characters, the widow, no power, alone, all by herself. She can't do anything for herself. And we have a judge, he's got all sorts of resources and he's calling the shots. And Jesus says about that, those two, it's her. It's her. She's, she's closer to me. She understands. She's the one you want to look at. She's the one, one you want to emulate. If you want to be either one of these two, be like her. Now, I don't know if that strikes you as strange, but it strikes me as really strange. It confuses me. It confuses me, and it also worries me. It confuses me because everything in our culture, everything that we learn growing up, everything that we teach our children is 
you should be like the judge. You should get resources and you should become powerful and you should be in a situation where you don't have to ask anybody for anything. You should be somebody who's self-sufficient and don't ever, don't be like somebody, like the widow who has to ask, who has to be in a situation where you have to go to other people and get the things you need. It's confusing to me. Jesus says, you should be like her. It's confusing to me and it's also worrying to me because I know that when I look at my own life, I want to be like the judge. I want more resources. I want to be in control. I want to be able to call the shots. I want to be like that judge. I'd like a lot of resources. When I drive into uh, Renaissance, I come west on Route 22. Have you guys been on Route 22? It's beautiful. It's, a, it's just a lovely lane that goes right through uh, uh, New Jersey. There's, a, there's an appliance store that looks like Noah's Ark. Uh, there's, it's, it's, it's the people on the route are friendly. It's great. If you get a chance, I highly recommend Route 22. As I'm driving west on Route 22, there's a big billboard. And it's got a big red square on the left, and it's got a big blue square on the right. And on the top of the red square, it just got a little phrase, and it says, Powerball. And then on the other square, it says, Mega Millions. And below it, electronically, is displayed what the, what the, what the value of each of those lotteries is each week. I remember a couple of weeks ago, it said $600 million for Powerball and $400 million for the Mega Millions. And every time I drive by that, I think, man, I would love to have that. I want those resources. And you know, it's not a bad thing to want resources. It's not a bad thing to want to work, to have a lot of finances. But here's what I really find myself thinking. If I had that, I'd be okay. I'd be all right. I'd be sad. I wouldn't have to ask anybody for anything. I'd be okay. I'm in some ways thinking I would spiritually be in a better place if I had more money. I also would like to be like the judge to call the shots, to be able to say who is guilty and who is innocent. And listen, friends, I've been reading your mail. I know you're the same way. You want to be able to say what's right and wrong. You're looking out in culture and you look at politicians and you look at celebrities and you look at other people who are giving the news and some of them you like and some of them you don't, but the ones you don't, you're like, why can't people see? They're wrong. We want to say who's right. We want to be like this judge. You're guilty. You're innocent. You're in, you're out. We want to be like this judge. And I know that there's everything in my heart that says spiritually, that's where I want to be. I want to be somebody who doesn't have to ask. I want to be somebody who's set. I want to be somebody, and Jesus says, it's her. If you want to be on the path to truth and life, it's her. We look at her and we say, we don't want to, be like that. She doesn't have any power. We're absolutely right. She doesn't have any power. She knows it, and therefore she has to knock and ask. And this gets us to the purpose of the parable that Jesus gives. He says that your prayer life, that you, in your calling out to God, it should be characterized by the same sort of relentlessness that this woman goes to the judge with. Knocking again and again, asking again and again coming to God with that same kind of persistence, knowing that the things that are really most important in your life can't be fixed by money. And they can't be fixed by resources and they can't even be fixed by power. The most important things in your life, what are they? It's your family and it's your friends. It's wanting your family and friends to flourish, to have joy, to have peace and purpose. You and I can't provide that. Money can't provide that. Only God can give it. 
It's the jobs that we want. It's the ways that we want our life to have meaning. Only God can give that. And Jesus says, if you want those things, then you have to be relentless. You have to emulate this woman. You should pray early and often. You should tell God what you want over and over and over. You should pray until you get tired of praying, and then you should pray some more. You should be like this woman. (laughs) Did you see what the judge says, why he finally gives up? He says, I don't want her to come and attack me. And the actual word that he uses, it comes from the Greek world of boxing. It literally says, I don't want her to give me a black eye. And Jesus says, you should go and give God a black eye. You should knock and knock and knock and knock and ask and ask and ask because she's got it. That's what Jesus is telling us. She understands something. She is standing in the throne room of God in a gown of spun gold and silk. She is a daughter of the great king. She has wealth unimaginable spiritually. She understands, she knows that it's only God that can give it. And that judge, that judge is like a child on a playground who's playing with a wheel and he thinks he's going somewhere. That judge is living in a house on the precipice of a cliff. And even now the sand and the dirt are falling from underneath that house. It's going to make a plunge. And she is standing on a rock that will never move. Jesus is saying, this is the one we want to look at. This is the one we want to be. And you know, this is what should characterize our our prayer lives. And I want to give a special kind of word to those of you with a lot of resources or maybe a little bit like this judge. See, this is one of the things that I like about Renaissance Church. A couple of weeks ago, I said, one of the things that I love about this church is that sitting among us in our home groups and community groups and support groups, whenever this church gathers, you're liable to find somebody who's been a lifelong Christian, and then somebody who became a Christian later on in life, and then somebody who's not a Christian at all, and somebody else who's thinking about what God is calling them to people on all sorts of spectrums of different spiritual paths. This is a place where you are welcome to ask questions and think and talk. We want that. Another thing I like about Renaissance is that right alongside people, there's going to be some folks with a lot of resources and then somebody with not quite so much and then somebody with none at all and are really hurting and then somebody else with a lot. We want to be a place where everybody is welcome. But I want to give a special word right now to those of you who may have a lot of resources. This parable should not scare you, but it should make you think a little bit. Because if you have a lot of resources and you have a lot of power and you have ability to fix things in your life, then you're going to be a little bit farther away from the place that Jesus says, if you want to know things spiritually, she knows. See, the judge is going to be farther away from that. He can call shots. He can call people to fix things. He's got resources to take care of things. He's not going to have to ask God all the time. It's going to remove him from the place where we all need to be. And all of us should recognize, and I think we do, that as I said, the most important things are in life cannot be fixed by finances or power. They can only be fixed by a good and righteous judge, by a good king who Jesus says will listen, not just because he doesn't want to get a black eye, but because he loves you. And there are so many ways to do this. There are so many ways to keep knocking on the door of love, to tell God what you need, to tell God what you want. There's so many ways to do it. I want to show you one of the ways that I do it. And I'm going to show you this in hopes that maybe you might be able to receive some of it. Maybe you might use something like this. I'm showing this to you not because I'm good at prayer, 
but because I'm decidedly not good at prayer. And this is one of the ways that I've tried to help myself get a little bit better. I want to show you something. I actually got this box on Route 22. Uh, I got it at a store. It's a it's a very high-end store. It's a, for business executives like myself. It's called Staples. And uh, I got this box, and I got little note cards. And as I have met with people here at Renaissance, I've written their names on these cards. And sometimes I'll write their family members. And sometimes I'll write things that they've asked me to pray for, things that are going on in their lives. And I try to make it a regular practice so that when I come into the office or maybe sometimes when I'm at home, I'll go through these cards. And some of your names are on these cards. And go through all the situations that you're dealing with and that we are dealing with and to try to name these things before God, knowing that I have to be relentless. Not because God is not listening, but because he is. Because God is one who will listen. He's a father. And did you hear at the end of the sermon or the parable? It says, he won't be long. It'll be quick. Some of us think God isn't going to listen. God isn't going to respond. He is. And our timing is always going to be the same as his, but he's listening. And so to go to him again and again and again. And to remember, no matter how you do it, you can do it with cards. You can do it with a prayer journal. You can do it out loud. You can find any number of ways to do this. But I want you to remember that when you do go to the judge, you are not going to an unrighteous judge. You're going to a good judge. You're going to a judge who loves the people that you love more than you love them. You're going to a judge who loves you more than you possibly could fathom. And when you go to him and you persist and are relentless in praying to him, he will hear you and he will be with you and he will respond to you. So my dear friends, do not give up. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Continue to go to God. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. No, hang on, wait. No, we're not done yet. Let's keep going just a little bit more. Yeah? I think let's go a little bit more. We gotta go a little bit more. It's a pretty good sermon so far. And maybe I should stop. I probably should stop while I'm ahead. But there's something that comes before this parable that we already looked at. It kind of gave us a preparatory way of looking at the parable. Remember what it said? It said, Jesus told this parable so that you would pray and also so that you wouldn't give up. But he also says something after the parable that gives us context for what he wants us to hear and what we are to understand about prayer. This is what he says at the very end. He says, Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? This parable is not just about crying out to God in general. It's about people crying out to God for justice. This parable is not just about naming names of the people that you love. It's absolutely about that. It truly is. It's not just about praying for the things that you need. It is. But it's also about praying for justice. And if you want to know what justice is, we can do no better than going to the authority about justice that Jesus himself goes to. When Jesus wanted to think, what is justice? Do you know who he went to? He went to the prophet Isaiah. In the very first sermon that he ever preaches in the Gospel of Luke, he uses as his text Isaiah. And this is what he says. This is from his very first sermon. The Spirit of the Lord is on me 
because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. This is the prophet Isaiah he's quoting here. And he's quoting the prophet Isaiah so that we will know what the kingdom of God looks like. When you say in the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come, what does his kingdom look like? The prophet Isaiah says, he says it's a kingdom where the poor are cared for. So you and I should pray for the poor, not just the spiritually poor, but the physically poor. Maybe in your cards, you have not only the people that you love and care for, but also some that you know who are poor. We are also to pray for those who are prisoners, not just spiritually in bondage, but also physically in bondage. One of your cards might be those you know who are incarcerated, or if you don't know anybody who is incarcerated, still to pray for those who are. We are to pray for the blind, the physically blind, yes, the spiritually blind, yes, not just other people that we think are blind, but even for us ourselves, knowing that we don't see as much as we should. And if you want to know further about who we should be praying for when it comes to justice, our widow gives us a really good clue. Because especially in the Hebrew scriptures, but throughout the entire Bible, there's a sort of holy trinity of people that God especially says you should take care of them. It's widows, orphans, and foreigners. Over and over and over and over, we are told that those are the people that God especially wants us to care for. I could give you a lot of references for this. I'll give you one. It's from Deuteronomy 24. It says, do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That's why I command you to do this. You know, the Bible doesn't give any impression that the scales of divine justice are equal or that they're blind. Instead, God is especially partial to the widows and to the orphans and to the foreigners. So as we pray, we should be praying for the foreigners. And for us, that means the people in our country who are immigrants who are legally here, and it means the immigrants who are illegally here. It means anybody who is a foreigner, an immigrant. Another way you could translate the word foreigner is stranger. So when there's somebody who's a stranger to you, somebody that you're not sure why they do the things that they do, somebody that's a little bit peculiar to you or a stranger to you, God has a word. You should pray for them. You should care for them and love them. Orphans. That means we should be praying for and caring for children in any kind of situation where they are in peril, whether it be in the womb, whether it be in foster care or in some kind of crisis situation of parenting, in single parent homes or in poverty, any children we should be praying for. Orphans, people who are children who are in difficult situations, we should be praying for widows. And in our situation, that's anybody who is slipping through the cracks. And don't get this twisted up. I'm not just saying to pray for them and not care for them. It wouldn't make any sense to just pray for somebody and not care for them. But God says that these are those that we should be praying for. And I just pointed out the way, one of the ways that I prayed. I pointed out one of the ways that I try to pray persistently. Here's something that I know about many of you. I know that many of you are praying. And I'm delivering this message to you right now, just not to encourage people to pray. I'm also, I'm imploring you not to give up. I know some of you have been praying for a very long time. That you've been praying for those that you love, that you've been praying for justice for a very long time. Don't give up. Jesus promises 
that your good father, the righteous judge, is listening. He will hear you. And sometimes it can seem like a long time. Sometimes it is a long time. But don't give up. We'll want to lose heart. We will want to faint. And Jesus says, don't do it. Pray for those around you. Don't stop. And as you do it, I'll leave you with this. Do you know who you're going to be praying alongside? You'll be praying alongside all the people that are here, the body of Christ that are gathered in this place, the body of Christ that are gathered around New Jersey. We're all gathered and we're before the throne of God. We're all joined as brothers and sisters, calling out to God. It says God's chosen ones. And do you know who's there with us? Jesus. Jesus himself is our elder brother, and he's praying with us. You know, the book of Hebrews says that when we're in a group like this, that Jesus is amongst us, that he is praying and worshiping. When we get back up and we sing, do you know he's going to be here? It says he is not, listen to this, he is not afraid to call us brothers and sisters. He is not ashamed to call you brothers and sisters, and he's praying with you, and he's praying for you. That's what the book of Romans says. He is praying for you. He is interceding for you. He stands at God's right hand praying for you that you would not give up, that you would persist in prayer, that you would join in this kingdom that God is bringing. Amen? Amen. Now I'm really going to let you go. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks that you have given us encouragement so that we would not give up. It's easy for us to give up. We are weak, our Father. We are slow to hear. But we ask that you, by your Holy Spirit, would come alongside us and pray for us, pray with us. Help us to pray. Help us to call out to you to knock on the door of love, which is your door, and to intercede for our family and for our friends, and to pray for justice, to pray for the foreigner and the fatherless, to pray for the slaves, to pray for the imprisoned, to pray for children in crisis. Help us to be a community that prays and calls out to you, that is aligned with your purposes in the world and your purposes are good. You are a righteous judge. Help us to know it and to see that and to receive it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.